Hey, this is Nicole C. Mullen, and you're on Faith's Edge with Joe Taylor. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, talk about it, say so, talk, talk about it. But if you are being motivated by God in love to speak truth to someone because you really care about them, He will honor that. And even if the friendship breaks, I believe He will use that in their life. That has got to be one of my favorites. One of my all-time favorites. Thank you, Nicole C. Mullen, for the introduction. Nicole and I had a great conversation as she talked about new projects, how she came out of her night season of abusive marriages, and the very special relationship she had with her dad. Check it out on faithsedge.com slash 102. That's on faithsedge.com slash 102. One of my favorite introductions by far. Welcome to the 114th episode of On Faith's Edge. My name is Joe Taylor, recovering atheist and your servant in Jesus Christ. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. I am so excited to talk today with Dove Award-winning singer-songwriter and now two-time author, Plum. We talk about her newest book, Fight For Her, Even If You Have to Fight Her. It's available right now on Amazon. This is a really great conversation. I met her at the uh, ICRS CBA down in Nashville, Tennessee. The, the thing I got most from my conversation with Plum is how she genuinely wants to revolutionize the way women talk with each other. This book, Fight for Her, is a challenge to women of all ages to fight for each other, even if that means fighting with each other. As she puts it, with love, hope, and bucket loads of grace. In our conversation, she shared how hearing the truth from a friend helped her heal her marriage. She goes into great detail about how to know if you're telling the truth in love or if you have selfish motives, and I think we've all been there. Plum tells us how, through her community, God brought her through the most devastating periods of her life. She also shares what she wants her sons to learn about how to treat women. And we get in a sneak preview of a song from her newest project, Beautifully Broken. You're, of course, best known for your music, Plum. That and my stand-up comedy. Oh, Just yes. Kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get your own HBO special? Yes, you know. What can I say? And a Dove Award. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. But eight albums, despite how great your music is <laughs> and your stand-up comedy, I really want to talk about this book, Fight for Her. Well, good. So do I. I have three daughters, 32, maybe 33. Sorry, Leah. Uh, 24 and 17. This book is near and dear to my heart for obvious reasons. Mm. After eight albums and your first book, Need You Now, why did you write Fight for Her? I wrote Fight for Her uh, because of a conversation I'd had with my daughter when she was about two or three. We were disputing over a pair of shoes and getting to the car on time, and she was having a bad attitude, as toddlers can do. And I caught myself saying to get her to you know, straighten up and change her attitude and help us get out the door and be on time, I will fight for you even if I have to fight you. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I realized that's a book one day. And I struggled with ever writing a book because I did not attend college and had some voices in my life speaking some lies to me saying, you're not educated enough to do that. You're, you wouldn't be good at it. 
And the Lord eventually drowned those out and spoke to me pretty clearly that you're a storyteller and I need you to share your experiences with the world, even if it was just for one, because I want to use it to advance my kingdom. And so when I said that to my daughter, I mean, I had not even released my first book when I said that to her, but after I wrote my first book, which was sort of a memoir, I kind of told the the story of my whole life, but the main component that I was trying to get out there was the story of redemption in my marriage that had fallen apart. And consequently, we remarried 18 months after separating and God restoring that and using that. So after that process, I loved writing a book. I loved the experience. I loved the whole, everything about it, I loved. And um, I love to sit and have conversations with people, especially over tea or coffee. And I feel like writing a book is an opportunity to at least share more of the story than you have time for usually at the merch table after a show. And that someone can really kind of sink into the story and kind of make it their own and let it impact them the way that it's going to. And so fight for her, although birthed out of that conversation with my daughter, was yet another story to tell. In Need You Now, my very first book, there is a chapter dedicated to my best friend who I kind of refer to as my own personal Cece Bloom. If you've ever seen the movie Beaches, she's that girl, the girl that speaks truth to me, even if it hurts. And so when our marriage was falling apart, she spoke very bluntly to me about some things in my life that needed to change that were my some of what I needed to own in the brokenness of our marriage story. And she's got her own chapter in this book now too. And so she kind of jokes about how like every book you write now is going to have a chapter dedicated to me. I expect it. But no, anyway, <laughs> she, um, she, she spoke such hard truth in my life and that impacted me in such a way. And God used that tremendously, I think, as part of our redemption story and our reconciliation story. And I was like, what if more women had a friend like that? Better yet, what if more women were that friend? So I wrote Fight for Her to revolutionize the way women communicate with each other. We need to know that we've been fought for and that we will continue to be fought for. And sometimes we need to be the one that's fighting for. And so I had a mother willing to fight with me to fight for me. And there was a a big chunk of time that we weren't friends because my mom was comfortable with the word no. No, you're not going to wear that. You're not going to go there. You're not going to date him. You're not going to have, you know, you're not going to go there, but they can come here. And just lots of things that I wanted to do that I didn't want her response to be no or restricting. And so I was selfish and I was mad at her and disrespectful to her. And my mom cared more about holiness in my life than my happiness. And that caused my mom to have a disconnect from me as friends for a while. And she was like, I, I, I didn't become your mother strictly to be your friend. I think if I'm your parent first and I fight for you and I care about your relationship with the Lord and the the calling on your life, if I care about that more than being friends with you, maybe one day we'll be friends. And she had to wait till I was in my late thirties to really truly be my friend. And she's now one of my best friends and I have more respect for her than I have for anyone. And so for mothers or any relationship out there right now listening, that's afraid that you have damaged a relationship and it will never, ever, ever come back. That may be a lie that the enemy wants you to believe there alone. If you keep at it and you listen to the Lord and and you do what he asks of you, regardless of what other people say or how they respond, he will, in fact, honor that. And I think he honored my mom's faithfulness. So I sit down and I'm going to write a book for mothers and daughters. I now have a daughter. I am a daughter. I write from that perspective. I get into it. And the swell of conviction comes over me that says, this is not for mothers and daughters. This is for all daughters, which are all women. Women need to know what I say about them because some of them did not have your mom 
as a mom fighting for them, being willing to fight with them. Um, some of them may or may not ever have a daughter to fight for, but they are sitting next to a daughter at work in another cubicle. They're down the hall teaching in their classroom from another daughter down the hall. They're coming in contact with another daughter at the grocery store when they're paying for their groceries. There are daughters all around us that we have the opportunity to fight for. And sometimes that means fighting with. We are that daughter. We need to be able to be um, receptive to someone loving us enough to fight for us as well. And so it's kind of a, a give and a take and a, a dual um, response to revolutionizing the way we communicate because women tend to be catty, jealous, comparison, gossip. Uh, we look at each other and say, can you believe she is wearing that? But we don't go up to her and say, I love you. What are you wearing right now? Why are you doing that? We don't take time to get to know each other. We don't take time sometimes to figure out where that's coming from because sometimes there are women around us that are completely, truly, innocently ignorant to how their actions are affecting their own personal lives, much less anyone else. Sometimes they, it's simply just, they don't know better. And sometimes they are going through something that their behavior is a response to that we're so quick to say, oh my goodness, can you believe she did that? But we have no idea that her dad abused her her whole life and she doesn't, she doesn't know anything else but then to react this way. So when we take time to get to know each other, and then we give of ourselves, we serve and we love, maybe we take you a meal because you just had surgery. Maybe we babysit for you because you haven't had a date night with your husband in a while. Maybe we help you pack boxes when you're moving. Maybe we take you out for coffee or lunch or just have you over because things aren't going so great in your life. Maybe we get outside of ourselves and we serve you and we love you and we open up what we have to you and we get to know you, then suddenly we have not just a permission, but a responsibility to be a true friend. And sometimes being a true friend looks a little bit like a boxing match. And my best friend, I, I say this all the time, she stays bloody from the fights. She loves me enough to not let me go my own way that could be destructive, that could be dangerous, that could be damaging. She cares about my walk with Jesus. She cares that I'm living my best life. She cares that my life is glorifying him and being used for his kingdom. And when I'm living different and contrary to that, she has earned by loving me so well, she's earned the right and the responsibility to say, what are you doing? That's not okay. Were you and your mother truly estranged? No, we were never estranged. We just were combative. Gotcha. Just very combative. And it was, you know, lots of rolling of eyes and being annoyed and being frustrated and passive being aggressive, passive aggressive and being tolerant and acting civil, but feeling things that, you know, you, you want to say. And then finally, when you haven't communicated, you know, upfront and clearly about certain things, then you explode and then you go two months without speaking or six months without speaking. And so we had m lots of those moments, but I remember any time that I was hitting rock bottom for, for whatever reason, whether it was a breakup or if it was, you know, a number, just a number of things, that's the first person I wanted to call because she had stayed the course. She had never wavered that that woman loved me so much that she was willing to, to fight with me. And I didn't realize it was fighting for me until I was older and could appreciate that. And so when I became a mother, I was 30 when I had my first child and man, it wasn't soon after, you know, he was, walking and talking and he was hitting toddler land that I was like, wow, 
she has made some sacrifices that I could not appreciate. I could not see what I could own. I was so selfish that I could not see how much my mother loved me. And I want to love like that. So she taught me to love well, to be loyal and be willing to take a punch. And I'm 43 years old and I, I dedicated this book to my daughter, but my mother wrote the foreword. I, I gave her a platform to say, what do you want to say? What do you want to say, mom? I did not know what the foreword was going to say until it was ready to go to print. And I glanced past it and I just wept and I wept and I wept to know that my mother was proud of me. And I've known, you know, the way that she loves me, she loves me well, but to see in writing for her to tell the whole world, I'm proud of her. I've never, ever, ever stopped loving her and, and to be proud of me as a mother and to watch me interact as uh, a woman who loves the broken girl. And it's, it's like I got all this hindsight and I look back and I watched my mother love the broken girl. And I didn't realize how that was shaping me until I found myself doing the same. So yeah, I mean, my, my daughter was an inspiration to write it birthed out of a conversation I was having with her. But the real legwork was done, you know, 43 years ago when my mother started pouring into me that way. And so it's kind of a pay it forward because I know every girl in this world does not have a mother like that. And so what I've chosen to do is to take the wisdom and the love that my mother has shown me that's helped shape me into who I am right now and give that back and say, you know what, this is something she did really well. We could all do this better. And I can't tell you how many times there would be some lady at our house having tea with my mom and I'm on my way out the door to go to school and I have no idea who that woman is. And I come home and I'm like, who was that this morning? And my mom's like, oh, well, this is, you know, this was Sally and she, she and her husband are going through a really hard time. And it's like, how did you meet her? Well, I was at the library the other day and she was going to pay her, you know, late fees and I overheard her. And it's like my mom would ask someone, hey, do you want to have coffee? Hey, do you want to have tea? Do you want to, do you want to come to my church? My mom would reach out. And so when people say, well, I don't have community. I don't have social capital. I say that's your fault because my mm -hmm. mom went outside of herself and said, I want to have that, but I also want you to have that too. And so my mom would reach out to people and she would share what she had. And little by little by little, there were broken girls in and out of my house all the time because my mom wanted them to know they weren't alone. That statement that you just made. That's your fault. That's part of the fight for her mindset. Yeah. <laughs> Is this truly a book for women centered around women's relationships? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And it's not, it's certainly not, you know, there's not a, a sticker on the front of it that says no for boys allowed, yeah. you know, for women only. But I, and I, I, I think with any kind of female motivated or directed literature, I mean, and this goes both ways for, for men and women, we could learn a lot of things sometimes reading a book for a man you could kind of learn a little bit about, mm -hmm. you know, that gender better. But, um, but I, I will also say that just you talking about it, saying how important you see it as it is, is very enlightening to me to know that there is communication that is universal. Like it doesn't really have a gender specific where we need to learn, you know, how to fight for each other better. Yes. And that can be very motivating to a man. I remember introducing the song beautifully broken to an audience of people. I was at a celebrate recovery summit and I had no plans of doing this. I didn't know that I was going to do this. 
it just started coming out of my mouth. <laughs> and I looked back and I was like, Lord, I'm going to trust that that was from you. But I told a story being 15 years old, sitting in the kitchen of one of my high school best friends. We were doing homework together after school one day. I rode the bus home with her and her stepdad came into the kitchen as he did quite frequently post her telling me about this. She was a new friend, so I didn't know her stepdad very well at this point. And he is so verbally abusive, just berating her, being negative about her, being critical of her, being insulting of her, um, about her looks and about her studies and about just her in general. And as he, he, he gets done saying what he's going to say, and mind you, in ninth grade, I may have been 80 or 90 pounds soaking wet. I remember standing up and the chair, like kicking the chair back with the backs of my legs standing up so quickly. And it kind of disarmed him. He kind of looked over at me like, what are you doing? And I mouthed off to him and I said, how dare you talk to her like that? My father would never say that to me. She's beautiful and she's smart. And I don't know where you get off talking to her like that. And I look back at that story and I think I should have been a little scared of him. Probably like he could have totally said or done who knows what. But I was empowered because my father would never speak to me that way. My father had told me I was valuable and worthy and beautiful and important. I remember having my backpack on my shoulder, walking out the door to go to school one day. And he said, I love you. And I turned around and I said, I love you too. And he goes, and I like you too. And I said, what? He said, if I, if I was in your grade, I'd want to be best friends with you. I just like you. Like you just, I just like you. Those are powerful words. They are very powerful words. And I didn't realize my father had empowered me to believe what God said about me. My earthly father was showing me what God says about me. And my friend had an earthly father that was breathing lies into her face. And so there's just a tremendous amount of people, much less women, that have heard those lies and believe them, that they're they're fat, they're ugly, they're they're stupid, they're they're worthless, they're too damaged, they're too broken, or whatever it is. And those are lies. And so we need community in our life to be able to speak the truth of what God says about us. And sometimes God, like we need to hear someone say that God says you are beautiful. But sometimes we also need to hear someone say, God says that you're walking down a dangerous path and he, and he wants to caution you that you need to stop what you're doing. That's hard to hear from someone that you don't know. And so that's why I want to encourage real relationships and real conversation and truth spoken out of love, motivated by the Holy Spirit does an amazing work in someone's life. And you know what? Some of those conversations might actually, you might take a punch on the chin and, you know, figuratively speaking and draw a little blood and that, that friendship might get broken. But if you are being motivated by God in love to speak truth to someone because you really care about them, he will honor that. And even if the friendship breaks, I believe he will use that in their life. And it may be 20 years down the road that they look back and say, man, why didn't I listen to her? She was right. And you may never even talk to that person again, but God can still use that. If it's not really about you, it's it's about his kingdom. The goal is not to break friendships up here, but at the same time, my best friend took a risk and said, you know what? You're hard to be friends with. And now we're better friends because she made me aware. You know, how do you position yourself to even be receptive to that? I was really broken when she said that. My husband had left. The bank was taking our house. I was I was rock bottom for sure. But I remember feeling that I was on solid ground still because God, for whatever reason, still loved me. She was speaking that, like, God still loves you. I still love you. I'm not leaving. He's not leaving. Your husband's 
not coming back to the same situation. Something's got to change. And you don't need to make these changes just to get him back. You need to make these changes to glorify Jesus because your husband may or may not come back, but God's not leaving. God still loves you. And the more like the woman he created and died for you to be that you are, the more he can use you to be a part of what he's doing in his kingdom. And that is so much more fulfilling than just getting this boy back. And thank God in heaven that he was doing a work at my husband's heart at the same time. And eventually we came back together, but that would not have happened without that community, without that truth, without those, you know, punches on the chin that she took a risk in taking. Cause I could have said, I don't want to talk to you ever again, get on my face. But she had shown me that she loved me way before that. And so that, that's where I, I say back up. And that person that you feel needs to hear the truth of what you need to say okay, that may be true, but why don't you take them to coffee first? Why don't you get to know them? Ask them what their story is. I had something just two days ago happen where a friend of mine's former nanny posted a picture on Instagram of someone that does not look like herself. Like she looks like a completely different person. And I don't mean that in a positive way. She, you know, I I remember sitting down with her at their house and her playing me a worship song that she had just written. And when I saw her on Instagram a few days ago, she looked like a a stripper. Like, I mean, I don't even know what else to say on Mm -hmm. your program, but it was like, what has happened to this person? And instead of unfollowing her or sending her a message that was like, what are you doing? I felt convicted about how I felt about what I was seeing. And I said, Lord, what do I do with this? Because what I see is danger ahead. I see destruction. I don't see a picture of a girl that I was watching write a song about you to lead others to you. That's not what I'm looking at. And the Lord was like, well, you know what? You just wrote a book. Put your money where your mouth is. Go take her to coffee. Ask her about her life. See what's going on in her. Long before you tell her, what are you doing? Next week, I'm going to coffee with someone who has no idea why I want to have coffee with them, but I'm going to have coffee with them and I'm going to ask them how their life is. And at some point, I'm going to ask God to give me the confidence to speak as lovingly as possible about how I'm concerned for them because I saw this picture and I just don't feel like that's from what I know of them, who I believe God wants them to be. And that's not the story that I think he wants them to tell. And the person to suffer for that the most if they keep going down that path is them, not me. And they they may leave that coffee and be like, I'm not ever having coffee with her again. But there's a chance that she could leave that conversation and say, thank you, God. Thank you for sending a rescue because I was drowning in something and I and I needed reminding of who you see me as because she's incredibly talented and has a beautiful voice and a, just she's all around just this wonderful person and I and I'm looking at the effects of the world on her in ways that I don't feel like are very glorifying to God and so am I judging am I criticizing like no like that's something you have to be honest in your gut with to yourself where does the wisdom come from to say, you know what, I am doing this in love, and I have to have the courage to speak in love, truly speak in love, but especially with women. I'm just talking to her in love when it's really, I think you use the word catty, right. and almost vindictive, right. jealousy, right. insecurity. I don't know why that is so prevalent with women, because I'm right. a guy. Right. You know, there is some truth to guys, either, either they actually do it or they don't actually do it. Just punch each other and move on with life. Right. You know? Well, I mean, we can learn a lot from men in the way that they just, that, you know, they just call it out. I think it was like Jeff 
Foxworthy, I think the yeah. comedian said one time that it'd be like, you know, you'd say, you'd say to each other, like, if one of you's gained weight, you'd, men are so comfortable saying, man, how many sandwiches have you been eating? You need to lay off the, you know, whatever. And then they give each other, you know, a, a funny hug and they move on. Right. And women were more emotional. We're way more emotional and, and that's okay. I mean, that is okay at the same time. I mean, men could probably be a little more emotional and women could be a little less emotional. I think we could learn a lot from each other. How do you check yourself that you're not speaking just from the hip because you're jealous or you're speaking because you just don't like that? That's against your opinion. You don't, you, you disagree with them. A question to ask yourself is like, what is motivating me to talk to them about this? Because what, what do I care? If they go through with this or they keep dressing this way or they keep talking this way or they keep participating in this, what do I care? And I care about her soul. I care about her life. I think you can almost ask yourself, if I say to this person what I feel like needs to be said and I lose their friendship forever, will speaking that truth be worth it? And if you could say, yeah, then you're probably in the right headspace and motivated probably by the, the right and true thing. And if you feel a little nervous about it too, I think because if you're super comfortable saying whatever and you just don't even have to think twice about it, there might be a chance that it is selfish and it's, it's about you. To some capacity, I mean, I, I don't see this, per, like I'm using this as an, as an example. I don't see her very often. Our lives don't intersect all that much. What do I care she can go do whatever she wants. I mean, how does that really affect me? Because you care about her soul. But I really, I really do. I really see that. And I'm fearful for her that that could bring real destruction on her life. Here's a difference in a, a, maybe a way to better help you yourself. If you're listening to this, decide whether or not this is motivated by the right things or not. Um, my very best friend who I've talked about one time, I was going into this conversation with her about something I felt very very guilty about. I was using the word guilty. And she paused and she said, hold on, guilt, anxiety, fear, shame. Those aren't attributes of our heavenly father. That's, those are things the enemy wants you to feel to keep something hidden. And she said, but conviction is, is something that makes you want to run to Jesus. He, you want to bring it to the light. Like, oh God, please help me with fill in the blank, whatever it is. If there's a conviction to speak to someone truthfully in love, it just doesn't leave the pit of your stomach. It keeps coming back to your gut. You keep almost holding it at arm's length and almost pushing it away because you're just, that's what the enemy wants you to do, right? He wants you to keep it hidden. He wants you to not say it. And so then you start to feel guilty or anxious or fearful about it. Okay, that's not from Jesus, right? We've already decided that. So there's a good chance that what you're, you're, the Lord is prompting you is, is to feel a conviction to trust him with something and then just let go of that. Shooting from the hip sometimes, I think, you know, I just think, I hate to say it so bluntly, but there's, but you know, when you're like, oh, I don't, I don't like her outfit or I don't agree with her politics or if it's about agreeing or disagreeing, if it's something that's so black and white that ultimately doesn't matter but it's something that you see could be destructive and dangerous to their spiritual. That's where prayer comes in. Very, very handy where you can really pray about that. Lord, give me wisdom to know the difference between just speaking 
from my own thoughts, my own opinions, my own feelings, and actually really caring about their soul. Open the door of opportunity for us to talk if that's what you want. And he will. But if you don't, like, close that door, you know, block that door. Often he will. And so um, it is a matter of faith. It is a matter of faith. It's trusting he's guiding you to do, and sometimes you nail it, sometimes you don't. So Clementine's your daughter, and you have two boys. Understanding that this book is primarily for women, what would you want your two boys to learn about how they treat women from this book? You saying that makes me want to hand them a copy and tell them it's required summer reading because they're 11 and a half and 13 right now. What you say to people, more specifically to women, impacts them preparing them for how they're going to speak to their wife, preparing for for how they would speak to if they ever did have a daughter. Um, I do talk about in the book that my dad would kill tigers for me. How they love and how they use their words because men can be less emotionally attached to the things that they say and recognizing that women are very different. For them to recognize that difference, the sooner they recognize that difference, not only the better for them and the relationships that they have with any girl, whether it's a girlfriend or just a friend or their wife or their daughter, but just being mindful of that overall in general. I think that it still has tremendous value in them being aware of how impacting your words can be. And so even how they love their sister, you know, they're they're brothers and they can pester each other. But I remember this one little boy on the playground a few years ago hit Clementine and it was pretty benign it was just over something very silly but he just kind of hauled off and gave her a whack and i see running full speed my younger son and he just plows into this little boy and is on top of him and holding his shoulders down and he's saying you do not touch my sister don't ever put your hands on my sister again do you understand me and you know he's probably eight at the time this little boy's like, okay, 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 I, you know, whatever. And he goes over to his sister and he's like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And then he walks away. Like he doesn't spend any more time than that. Like he's done. He's moved on now. He's done. He, he did his job. He's done. But my daughter still talks about that. And she felt fought for. She felt loved. She felt seen. She felt protected. So when he's pestering, it's almost like he has permission to pester because he's the older brother, but no one else is allowed to pester her. But I use that example with them sometimes of how men and women are are meant to work together as a complement. You know, like I am for the equality of quality of just how I don't, women are not better than men. I don't want to be a man. I just think that we have so many strengths and so many compliments to one another to work together. And I want them to see that because I think that the better and the sooner they understand that, the better their relationships will be, you know, across the board, but more specifically with the women in their life, the way they impact women, man, I just, you never know what girl is going to tell a story of brokenness that came from a boy. And I want my boys to be a story of redemption in girls' lives. I want I want them to be able to be that guy that helped restore, you know, someone's opinion about mankind or about there actually being chivalry still out there or someone actually still being a gentleman. Like I'm raising gentlemen. I haven't even put pen to paper, but, um, but fight for him 
is uh, in the works in my brain of, of a follow-up to the book fight for her because I'm raising, I'm raising gentlemen. And so I care about very, very passionately care about them being the kind of men that God has called them to be in the lives of women. And, and that being such a beautiful story of ping pong, you know, of how we, we work together and complement and love um, and heal and restore each other. And I think it's possible. I do believe that it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a fairy tale that there would actually still be chivalrous, chivalrous gentlemen out there. And so I'm, I'm bent on at least raising two of them. So chivalry doesn't take away from the woman. Oh no. It doesn't make a woman less of a woman or less independent or less empowered or weaker. It doesn't take away from a woman. It complements. I think her name um, is Dana Gresh and she wrote a book about keeping the good in your boy. And she had a, a partner to that, uh, a, a pairing of keeping the little in your girl, which was kind of an inspiration behind why I wanted to write fight for her and fight for him down the road. But she says something in her book, uh, keeping the good in your boy about girls being too forward and how that's emasculating to men and how there's this, this rub in our culture of feminism that goes the wrong direction where women think they're better than men or they're trying to be, to be men, um, or they're haters on men. And I love men. I love gentlemen. I think that there's something so beautiful in the way that we were created differently and to complement one another that this misguided or misunderstood notion that when men are being leaders, that that's them controlling and bossing and putting their thumb on a woman. That's not the case. Women, if they're really honest with themselves, we want to be respectfully led, not controlled, not bossed, but respectfully led. Like leadership in men should look like chivalry. They should, it should look like caring for, it should look like complimenting, it should look like this beautiful, the bride that the church, you know, and Jesus, like how they, they work together. Scripture even talks about that so beautifully. Like we're meant to work together doing different things. And I think when a guy goes to hold a, a door open for a girl and she's like, Oh no, I've got that. I don't agree with that. I think that it's beautiful when someone is, is saying, okay, I'm taking on a role of being kind and caring and compassionate and seeing you and respecting you. This is a way for me to do that. And I feel like a way for women to do the exact thing back is to accept it with grace and say, thank you. When you pull my chair out from underneath me, not smacking your hand away and saying, no, 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 I got it myself. You know, and I realize a lot of women that resist that chivalrous behavior is because they've watched someone abuse that. They've watched someone try to control and manipulate and boss and, ab and abuse that leadership. I want to raise two boys that show the beauty in leadership. When we say leadership, that every great leader, they have incredible team around them that they couldn't do it without. And I believe that that's how the bride and Christ work together. And I believe that how men and, you know, men and women can work together and, and empower one another, complement one another, lead each other. And so it's not a matter of one's better than the other, that they are both necessary and so incredibly valuable. And so that would be a definite, um, main point of even writing fight for him of raising gentlemen and what that looks like, not weaklings that just get walked all over. Because the truth is, ladies, if you're listening, that's not attractive. It's not attractive to, to see an emasculated husband be nagged and bossed around by his wife. 
It's beautiful to see his wife be his best friend, to be his cheerleader, to be his teammate, to be his equal. And her job is different, but it's equally valuable. And we all know that. We know couples that the husband is just on his last leg. Like, oh goodness, if she only found out or whatever. Like, what kind of relationship does that look like? And is that what you want? Like, no, we can be so harsh to each other. And so that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. That's, that's three books from now. Yeah, that's three books from now. It is a standalone book, but also you've formatted it so it can be used in a group discussion. Yeah, there are discussion questions at the end of each chapter so that if you want to do it with a friend or a Bible study group or a, you know just a book study, I wrote it the way that I like to read books. The book is not super long, so you could read it in a weekend if you want. And the chapters are also not very long, so that if you are doing it as a Bible study or a book study, I don't know about you all, but sometimes I forget to read when I'm a part of something like that. And, you know, that night will come up and I'm like, oh, man, I totally forgot to read. Chapters are short enough that you really could spend about 30 minutes and, you know, snap through it. And the discussion questions, there's just a few for you to be introspective with, because I know a lot of women are going to read this and not really be sure where to start of how to be a fighter or to be fought with. And so those discussion questions are there for them to be able to develop that, but also there for them to have something to talk about amongst their friends. So you wrote the book, wrote you put book. study questions in the book. I put study questions in the book. Plum, you're heck bent on getting <laughs> women to talk to each other, aren't you? <laughs> well, I, I, yes, yes, I am. Yeah. And to talk, to talk well to each other, instead of talking about each other or talking at each other, really learning how to talk to each other. The book is fight for her. We've talked about this book a lot, but you're plum. We can't not talk about your music. <laughs> Let's talk about Fight For You off of Beautifully Broken. Yeah. How important is this song to you? It is so crucial to, if okay, so if somebody gets the book Fight For Her, if you don't even want to buy the record, at least go and listen to this one song, Fight For You. It is a direct compliment to the book. It is whimsical. It is lighthearted. It is fun because I feel like conceptually fight for her. Even if you have to fight her, the book seems pretty heavy. It seems almost combative, which it is not. And I feel like the emotion and the energy of the song fight for you lifts the spirit and projects the, the proper emotion of beauty and lighthearted, like this kind of whimsical, fun picture of how our relationship can and should look when we are willing to have those hard conversations. My daughter absolutely gets fought with by me, but my daughter is one of my favorite people in the whole wide world that I love to spend time with. And she feels the same way. And I'm not just speaking on her behalf because she's nine and she's not here. But if you interviewed her, we absolutely love each other and like each other. And she knows that the hard things that I've said to her, the restrictions I've made or the things I've taken away or the times I've said no, she knows because of my behavior for the last nine years, she's watched me protect her, provide for her, hug and kiss and love on and be with and enjoy and like. I have built trust with her for her to know that sometimes that combating is for her good. And so she plays ukulele on the song in on the record. Um, which is just absolutely adorable to me. Um, and so I just feel like it, it brightens the mood a little bit to know that like this relationship is meant to be beautiful 
and happy and joyous. Let's take a second and listen to Fight For You off of Beautifully Broken. How did you come to believe in Jesus Christ? I grew up in a Christian home. I don't know a life without him. I was eight years old at vacation Bible school, and I remember the pastor saying something about hell, and I think I'd cheated on a test or something that week, and I remember running to the altar just out of fear of hell. And then when I was about 16 or 17, I had a crush on the pastor's son, and so I was going to just do my devotions every night and be like super Christian to impress him. And then in my 20s, I got married realized how selfish I was because now I was sharing the bathroom with another person that didn't necessarily rinse his whiskers out of the sink like I had wished he would and started to question some things and got pretty comfortable in that selfishness. And when my marriage fell apart, the God of the universe that I had pretty much felt like since a little girl was present, but was probably kind of watching around the corner to see if I was, you know, walking straight and narrow. He met me on my very cold tile kitchen floor one night when my husband had left. And I was so sick with depression and devastation that I could hardly breathe. I just, I met him with his arms wrapped around me, really compassionate, really kind, just crazy about me absolutely crazy about me, had forgiven me before I even said, forgive me, just repeating, begin again, begin again. Although I grew up in a Christian home, and although I prayed that prayer when I was eight, I kind of feel like about six or seven years ago is when I really met who he really is. He is forgiving and kind and compassionate and present and really does honor the begin again. He really does let you do that. And I have had to do it multiple times and he's been faithful to let that happen. And so I'm his biggest fan. <laughs> you mentioned your, your relationship with Jeremy a couple times yeah. in the rough patch that you had. How did you make it through that rough patch? How did, was, how important was your faith through that rough patch? Well, my faith is all I had other than my three children. That was all I had one day. I remember because the bank was taking the house. The money was gone. The husband had moved out. I remember that the battery was dead in the van and the tire was flat. I remember the power had gone out because of a storm. And because of the lack of funds, I had canceled gymnastics lessons and cable and internet and piano lessons. And I remember making sure I could do everything possible to save 
the water and electricity bills to be as little as possible. And the pantries were very bare and God's community around us was so thick and so precious. And I remember opening up the door one day on my front porch and I had heard stories about this growing up as a kid. And then I was living one out that there was a basket on the front porch with everything in it to make spaghetti. It was the noodles, the sauce, bread. Um, there was uh, a, a boxed brownie mix. There was a journal and a book by Sarah Young called Jesus Calling, a devotional that I still have in my bag with me everywhere I go. And a note from a friend that just said, I know you're going through a rough time right now. The last thing you need to worry about is grocery shopping. So I just wanted to provide everything for dinner tonight and for you to know that you're not alone and that you're being prayed for. And I sat on that front porch, read that card, and then I opened up the journal and it said, here is a journal for you to write everything good in your life, everything to be thankful for so that you are reminded that God is good because you probably are having a hard time seeing anything but the bad. And I sat there, and although I know my friend Laura physically drove that over to my house and put it on my front porch, like God took me out for Italian that night. He made sure that I knew that he would protect, that he would provide, that he would always be there no matter what was going to happen. In that moment, I knew this may be all I have is my trust in those facts. And then those three little people down the hall that are three, five, and six. And he was faithful. I, I didn't go without a meal. There was always a roof over my head and clothes on my back. And I was, am still breathing in and out. And now after a reconciled home, um, he is still doing those things. And so that's what I had. I mean, my faith was a hundred percent everything. And there's days that I miss that broken time because of how sweet my time was with him because I needed him so bad that I spent crazy amounts of time with him. And after everything was kind of getting restored and better and better, your life gets a little more comfy and you're like, I haven't really spent quality time with him in a week. And then suddenly it becomes, you know, two weeks and so on and so forth. I am grateful for the brokenness because for me, he doesn't cause it. He certainly doesn't allow it. I don't, I don't like when people say he allows it. I think brokenness is inevitable because the fallen world that we live in, but I watch him use it, not just for his kingdom and his glory, but like to keep me close to him. And again, it's not him doing it to get me to be close. I think that when those broken things happen or hard things happen, it's just so, it refines, it refines your faith. It purifies it and it makes it more and more real. And so I just, I kind of say, bring on the hard things because I think when, when you're walking through them, you get to see him at his truest, which is faithful, present, forgiving, gracious, mercy. I mean, all the fruits of the spirit, you see it. And so I just I have a crush on him. <laughs> what kind of things do you do within your family to, keep those faith waters flowing in your family? There is, this is a, a, an answer that may sound a little peculiar to some, but there's a book called um, Three Questions for a Frantic Family that Patrick Lencioni wrote. And he he took these three questions down from what was seven questions that he would take to these Fortune 500 companies when they were trying to kind of manage their business. You know, what made their business different? What made their business grow and like the pros and the cons and things like that. He wrote five dysfunctions of a team, I believe. He I may, he may yeah, have, yeah. I've not read that, but in reading that book, it helped us 
to be very intentional, even to the point, I'm a very visual learner. And so even to the point where he said, it's important for you in your home to have a dry erase board that you put in the three, the three things are your mission statement as a family. Like who are we that makes us different than the family next door? Like for us, for instance, we travel a lot. Like that's part of our, like part of our normal is that I tour and that some, my husband owns his own business. So sometimes he has to travel instead of trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. It's like, okay, this is who we are. Let's stay true to that. The second question that he asks you to ask yourself is what is the number one priority right now? And at different times, it's going to be different things. And at one point, my husband was diagnosed with diabetes. And so we had to kind of reposition how we ate and the groceries we bought and the way that we order and blah, blah, blah. And that was a real focus. But there's these little sub, uh, I forget what he calls them, but they're like little subcategories that are the priorities in your life that are the foundation of who you are, regardless of what that main thing is right now. Maybe someone's touring, maybe some you're moving, maybe dad's getting a new job or your, you know, your mom's switching career, whatever it may be, can be one of your children. Like there's an emphasis on one of your children having a, a challenge or a situation. But for us, it was that, you know, we go to church every week and then we have date nights with each other and that we have one-on-one time with our kids and that we stay out of debt and that we try to eat healthy and take our vitamins. I mean, little things under the, the underlying consistency so that we can actually execute that main priority at the time while staying true to number one. And then number three is how do you execute that? So whatever you list uh, as your priority right now on number two, how do you maintain those subcategories and stay true to number one and get that priority accomplished and execute it? And so I remember one of those was uh, when I was touring with Big Daddy Weave, I was going to be gone a lot. And um, one of our, our, our number two thing was mom touring, like, you know, mommy is touring a lot. And so number three was that they were going to come out on the road as much as humanly possible, that the time that I was off of the road and home, I was going to be twice as intentional about time, one-on-one time with them and date nights and things like that. And just certain things that were to, to, in order to keep the main thing, the main thing, like how do we, and it's constantly changing, but that, that book kind of revolutionized the way that we balance our time and also how we compare ourselves or the lack thereof to other people and being true to us. And so in that is what one of those sub sub categories, I guess you would call it, it was church and small group time and like real like friend and family is what we call it, like friends who are like family time that we we let them in and we let them see and they can they, they have permission and a responsibility to say, whoa, 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 you guys have been like passing ships in the night here lately. Have you I'm taking the kids for you tonight. You are going on a date night. Like this is a little ridiculous. Like you're you're not seeing enough of each other. We don't want to get down the road and have, you know, 2012 part 2 happen. Mm. And and so having community very involved but with absolute permission and responsibility to speak truth in our lives is how we execute a lot of that. And so, you know, spending time in my Bible praying every single day, that's not my strong suit. I am, I feel like in a constant state of prayer and constantly aware of him and wanting to do what he would be asking of me. But getting alone with him is a struggle for me. And I don't know why it's been that way my whole life, but, but certain things push me to that place and I'm always grateful for them. And so again, if you have something going on in your life that's rough, don't, don't blame God for that, but be thankful for something that's kind of pushing you into his presence of like, Hey, and it's okay if it's to need him for something. He's, got a punch card that's always full for that. But I think we'd get to a place where 
we see his faithfulness so much that we want him instead of just needing him all the time. And I think that's what happened to me back in our broken marriage time where I wanted him so much that it wasn't just about needing him. And so uh, at the same time, you think, well, if that's true, then why do you have a hard time spending time with him every day? Um, because I'm human and I'll have a great uneventful day and go, oh, I didn't really talk to you very much today. I'm sorry about that. And before I can even feel that way, it's like he's shaking his head with a funny look on his face going, are you kidding me? I love you. I know how your day was busy. It's okay. It's okay. Just begin again. Let's start over tomorrow. And that just makes me love him that much more that he's never, he's just never, he's never harsh. He's never down on us. He's not disappointed. He's not mad at us. He's just nuts about us. And when we can really believe that, it will transform how you spend time with him. Um, Because it won't be out of obligation. It becomes out of choosing and desire. And I'm grateful for that. Finally, as we wrap up, Plum, what would you say to that person that may not be a believer right now, but they're right on faith's edge, making that choice to believe or not to believe in God? Faith is not a response to some hard things in your life. Um, The hard things in your life that will inevitably come because of the world that we live in refines it, purifies it, um, makes it more real to you. Um, but it truly is a leap. It is believing in something, trusting in something that you can't necessarily see with your eyes or touch with your hands or taste with your lips. But I can just tell you this, that that act of faith, that leap, that trust, it is the best decision I have ever made in my life. And I have never regretted it for one single second he has never ever ever let me down one time i've let myself down and i've had to be honest with myself that there's things in my life sometimes that are the direct consequence of me being selfish or stupid or ignorant or uh you know what have you i have never ever felt his hand leave i encourage you to just give it a try because the the thing is he knows your beginning he knows your finish line um, we we don't. As humans, we look at each other with eyes of like, oh my gosh, can you believe they're doing that or they would say that or they would go there or whatever. We, we, we look at that human eye and God has been there all along. He remembers everything about you, things that you don't even remember. Like there are, there are things and behaviors that we have that are a response to how we were treated when we were two or three or four that we don't even really remember. And with a human's eye, we look at that and say, why, why, do you, why does he do that or why does she do that or why would they? But God knows exactly why you're doubting right now. He knows exactly why it's hard for you to trust. He knows, and he's being completely patient with you to say, I get it. I've been there all along, and I see the circumstances that you've experienced, the hurt that you've experienced. I've watched it, whether you did it yourself knowingly or it was done to you. I've been there. I've watched it. So I think that is why he can have grace and patience for us in a way that we can't as humans have for each other. Because he's been there the whole time. It's almost like, think of it this way. Your baby is crying. Someone at another table is like, oh my gosh, what kind of parent? Like that baby is such a whiner. Why don't you get it some food or, or put it down for a nap or change its diaper or like parent better? Like they don't know. They don't know that that baby may have cut its first tooth that morning and you know it and their mouth is throbbing. So you have nothing but grace for them all day because as their parent, you're like, oh, they just cut a tooth this morning. I've got grace all day for this crying because your mouth hurts. But the person over there, they don't know that. Well, who gives a rip what they think? They're not who matters. God 
is who matters. He knows why you're hurting. He knows why you're having a hard time trusting or believing. He knows. And he's going to be patient. And he's brought you, like, he's he's loves you enough that he's brought you to this very moment right now. And he's just asking you to take a chance. Trust him. Because I'll, I'll tell you this, he won't fail you. But you don't know that until you trust him. So he's he knows that you just cut your first tooth. And he's just hanging out with you, being present, regardless of what everyone else is thinking or feeling. He's present and he's patient with you and he's loving you and he's waiting on you to decide. And I just, I'm not one of those fear people that's like, this may be your only chance ever for the rest of your life. You know, you may get hit by a truck in five minutes. You, you better make a decision. Like, come on. No, I just think that this is a chance. This may not be your only chance, but this is a chance. And the sooner you trust him, man, the better off you are. The, the sooner you experience a peace and a weight that's lifted and a joy that is synonymous with hope. It's not happiness all the time, but there's a joy that comes with having that hope and that faith and that trust in something bigger than yourself. I don't think we can say anything more than that. Plum, <laughs> thank you so much for hanging out You're with us welcome. today. The book is Fight for Her. The album is Beautifully Broken. Yes. And the soon coming... Fight for him. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out. Thank God bless you. you. Thank you. You too. Plum's website is plummusic.net. Her music and books are all available on amazon.com. All of her links can be found in today's show notes at onfaithsedge.com slash 114. Onfaithsedge.com slash 114. I love bringing you these engaging conversations about faith. If this show entertained you, encouraged you, informed you, or brought value to you in any way whatsoever, will you consider financially backing the show by using any Amazon link at onfaithsedge.com? Now, we're going to get a modest commission from your purchase, but rest assured, it won't cost you a penny more. Well, that'll wrap up today's show. Thank you to Plum for being with us, and thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me, and you mean a lot to this show. Remember, God is real. He loves you. And so do I. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us, and we would love to hear from you. 